The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Exceeding, abundant 
I welcome you to Pilgrim's Progress today. Thank you for for tuning in to listen. I have a request. Would you listen to the whole broadcast today? I don't want to preach as I normally do. I want to share my heart. There's some issues that are just so heavy on my heart. I want to share those. I've been preaching now in Washington, D.C., and now via the Internet across the country for almost 30 years, five days a week. And I look at that constant stream of sharing. And I have to tell you, had I been preaching this same message of holiness, of surrender, of righteousness, had I been preaching this at the turn of the century, I would have a mega church today. And that's not what I want. Please understand, I'm saying the people's hearts would have quickly responded and would have repented and they would have become holy before the Lord. But not today. Today there is almost no response. Today this message has been spectacularly rejected. And I want to share with you some some reasons why. And I ask you, please, open your mind, open your heart. Please just try to hear what I'm saying. Now, I know some people have become enraged by this message. They've been very angry with me, and they've shared that anger. They have, in many cases, just cut off my life from theirs. They have treated me as a as a stranger, as an unclean thing. They no longer even would speak with me. They have changed their phone number, so I can't call them, even though I haven't called them. Why? Because this message of holiness is very offensive. Jesus' message is a stumbling block unless we change it. And today's church has changed the message of Jesus Christ. There are many wonderful teachers on WAVA, AM and FM, but I'm the only teacher on WAVA AM or FM in Washington Market that teaches this holiness, righteousness, overcoming all sin. That causes me great sorrow of heart. And I know that it's going to be difficult for me to even stay on the air because so many have turned against this word from Jesus. It will take a miracle. It will take a miracle of God's grace and provision. And I trust him. And if I go off the air, it's all right. I I have no agenda except to obey and follow Jesus. But let me try to talk about this in, in very practical, concrete terms with you. The children of Israel created a pattern of unbelief and rebellion against the Most High God, against Jesus. He was the God who walked with them in the desert. Let me be specific. When Pharaoh stopped giving them the stubble to make the bricks but demanded the same amount because Moses was asking for them to be delivered. In anger and bitterness, they turned against the living God of heaven and they turned against Moses. Again, when they came to the Red Sea and the Egyptians were behind them, 
the mountains on the right and left and the Red Sea in front of them, they turned against the Lord God of heaven. And they grumbled, they complained. They did not praise and walk in belief. And then when they they left, they crossed the Red Sea. And they came to, again, no water. And they began to bitterly complain against the Lord God of heaven and against Moses and Aaron. They came to Marah, and the water was bitter. This was two and a half days out of the Red Sea. They couldn't drink the water, and they were so angry. They were, they were bitter in their hearts. And, of course, Moses went to the Lord, and he said, throw that piece of wood in, symbolizing the cross, and it made the water sweet, and they had all they wanted to drink and, and to give their livestock. Now, they again are on the march. They leave Elam, the place of rest, and they go out into the desert of sin, and they have no food, and they're hungry. They've run out. They've been a a month and a half out. They didn't carry enough food. They didn't have time. And now they're desperately hungry. And they say, Why'd you bring us out here in this wilderness to starve us to death? Again, they are establishing a pattern of no trust, of rebellion, of only trusting in the world. Again, there's no water. And they're ready to stone Moses and Aaron to death, complaining and groaning and demanding not walking in belief, not walking in obedience. And then they leave Rephidim and they go to Mount Sinai or the mountain of God. Moses is called up into the mountain after they hear the voice of God speaking the Ten Commandments. He goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And they convince Aaron to make for them a golden calf. Again, a symbol of Baal, a symbol of prosperity. And they have a time of dancing around the golden calf and offering offerings to the golden calf of prosperity and engaging in sexual immorality. Now, what they have created is a very concrete pattern of response to God's word to them. And finally, God can't take it anymore. And he allows them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness with no repentance rebellion, and finally death as they die in the wilderness. Now, this pattern of unbelief in the word of God has been firmly established in the children of Israel and it results in their death, in God's judgment being passed upon them. Now, in America, the Christian church, beginning back literally at the turn of the century, at the beginning of the 1900s, they were given a great outpouring of the presence of God. Catherine Kuhlman and others healing the sick, proclaiming the word of God. But again, a pattern of unbelief began to be created and prosperity began to be the object of the church. So when I was growing up in the church in the 50s and the 60s, 
Orthodoxy was the rule of the day. It was dry. It was legalism in a holiness church setting. In other settings, it was worldliness, going after money. A pattern was established and a theology began to be taught, a wicked theology. And that theology of Gnosticism, and I'll explain in a moment, has swept the American Christian church. And we're in very serious trouble now. I want to take a few minutes and I want to explain. I want to share with you my understanding of what the gospel is and why it has been rejected. For America has rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. The American church today is very much like the children of Israel before they were consigned to 40 years of wandering in the desert and dying. And the American church today, if it is not dramatically revived, it too is going to face destruction and death. And already that judgment has begun to fall in America. We see it in the hurricanes. We see it in the tornadoes. We see it in the volcanoes. We see it in the whole West Coast where evil has been the most prominent in California, Oregon, and Washington. These have been among the most godless states in all of the United States. Church attendance has been historically the lowest in Oregon of all the states in America. They very early turned against the Lord Jesus. Now, Washington State has done the same thing, and California obviously has been a key leader in the rebellion against the Most High God. So I want to lay out the genuine article and then speak about the faults. I hesitate to do this it's not my desire to to be right. I'm deeply grieved by what I see. But we have in America rejected the gospel. We've accepted a false gospel. And almost all the teachers of America, Christian teachers, almost all of them are teaching a false gospel. Now, I don't say that lightly. I'm 76 years old. I was raised in the church. I went to seminary. I got my graduate degree as a master of theology. I've pastored. I've taught. I've read the scriptures time after time after time. And what I'm going to share with you today is a reflection of an old man who could not stop searching for Jesus. I would not accept this false gospel. I turned against it with all of my heart. So first, I want to lay out the genuine in very concise terms as shared in the scriptures. In Romans, the fifth chapter, I'm going to begin in verse 20. But law entered with the result that the sin may be multiplied. But where the sin multiplied, the great grace superabounded to overflowing, that even as sin reigned in the sphere of death, so also the grace may reign by means of righteousness, resulting in life eternal by Jesus Christ our Lord. 
this this is a very clear statement that the law came in order that we might see our sin. What happened at at Mount Sinai with Moses, and we'll be studying that this week, was that the law was given to be very clear about what sin is. The result was sin became very obvious. It was clear. There could be no mistaking sin. And so sin in our consciousness multiplied. But Paul says that grace superabounded to overflowing, that even as sin reigned in the sphere of death. Remember, the wages of sin is death. So also the grace may reign by means of righteousness. Grace does not reign by means of covering over the sin. That's not found anywhere in the scriptures. Grace reigns, according to Titus, the second chapter. Grace reigns by teaching us to say no to ungodliness and giving us the strength in the blood of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, to walk a clean and righteous life. But some of you will quickly say, but pastor, it says that grace superabounded to overflowing, overcoming our sin. Yes, it does say that, but do you mean by overcoming sin, do you mean covering it and not removing it? It says grace may reign by means of righteousness or innocence resulting in life eternal by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let's let Paul tell us what he means by that. Because there's no chapter separation in the Greek. It flows. The punctuation and chapter divisions happen much later. So listen to what Paul says now about Grace may reign by means of righteousness resulting in life eternal by Christ Jesus our Lord. What then shall we say? Continue in sin so that grace may become more and more? Certainly not. And if you look at the at the Greek construction here, the question is, can grace abound? in a sinning believer. And the apostle answers as emphatically, as powerfully as possible, no, never. No, never. It may never happen. The very point is that grace is the opposite of sin. Grace is enablement to live clean before God. Grace and sin are opposites. They cannot coexist in the same life any more than light and darkness can occupy the same space. Light and darkness cannot be in the same space. Darkness is overcome by light. Sin is overcome by grace. It is removed by the blood of Jesus. Now, Paul continues, We who died to sin, how can we still live in it? But you know, the modern gospel says, you cannot overcome your sin. You're going to always live in it. My brother, my sister, this is where I'm having such a struggle. This is such a a point of conflict among Christians. When they hear this, they say, that's not possible. That's not what my preacher said. He said, grace covers me. He said that God has unconditional love for me. He said, he said, he said, no, 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 no. Don't go by what your preacher says or by what I say. Go by what the word of God says. 
we have established a pattern of unbelief and sin in righteousness, and we have pretended that we are covered by grace, and so we are free to continue to walk in sin because we're saved. That is pure pagan Gnosticism. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if the modern church understood this, I would not be ostracized. I would not be cast out. And there are some of you who understand this. And I know that if you begin to talk about this in your church, that is a a modern church, people will cut you off and not be friends with you. You will be ostracized even as I am. It will not be acceptable. You will be cast out of your church. Presbyterian, Baptist, Congregational, Assemblies of God. You go right down the list. They all believe in the sinning Christian. They all believe that you cannot leave your sin. Now, if I cannot leave my sin, how then shall I be saved? And their answer is, you are saved by grace. But grace does not cover us in the scriptures. That's a a Gnostic fallacy. It's a Gnostic lie. It's a pagan lie. So Paul asks this question, and, and the Apostle Paul doesn't mean The Apostle Paul does not mean to be controversial. I see a a person has posted on our on our chat page, and this person is ignorant. He's a a demon person. He's a devil person. He's caught in wickedness. At least I respect the fact that he knows that he worships the devil and that he's ignorant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm concerned not about the devil worshipers like this person who's a joker. I'm not concerned about them. I'm concerned about those men and women who claim to be followers of Jesus but in fact, in their lifestyle, follow the devil. And in the end, we'll be lost. I mean, this question, no no question. If he does not turn from his wickedness, he will go to hell. And he thinks he's smart coming on a Christian chat page and posting his foolishness. But... It only shows me the devil is very angry and his disciples will rise up and begin to make sport of Jesus. But his judgment is coming. So, Paul asks the question, are you you uneducated? Are you ignorant, Christian? That when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. You were baptized. Have you been baptized? Then you were baptized into the death of Jesus. He says, truly, really, in reality, we were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death, that just as Christ was raised out from among the dead men by the glory of the Father, so also we may walk around in the newness of life. 
not in the oldness of the wicked life, not in the oldness of sin and degradation, not in the old life of demon worship, not in the life of compromise, claiming that I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven even though I'm walking in sin. You can't walk in sin in rebellion against the Most High God and be on your way to heaven. It just, that's what the scriptures teach. It's not Ray Greenley. It's not my teaching. It's the teaching of scripture. He says, for we if, if we have become united in the similarity of his death, then we shall also be united in the similarity of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we not hereafter serve sin, for the one having died has been freed from sin. Now, I want to turn with you to another scripture. It's found in the book of of Colossians. Colossians, the second chapter. I'll begin reading with, with verse 11. Colossians, the second chapter, begin in verse 11. In whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision not of human origin, but by the stripping off of the body of flesh, that is, the old man, the sinful nature. In the circumcision done by Christ, this is something Jesus does in us and for us. This is not something we do by ourselves. This is this is the work of Jesus by his blood and by the Holy Spirit. Having been buried with him in the baptism, with whom you were also raised by faith in the working of God, the one having raised him from among the dead, and you being dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having shown himself gracious to us with reference to all the trespasses. I was with a group of men, all claiming to be Christians, many of them ministers and leaders and their pastor. And we were at dinner. I'd been invited to come by one of the men to their men's meeting. And so I went with him to that men's meeting. And I sat listening in shock. As from the very beginning, the men began to share the dirty jokes that they were passing amongst themselves and having uproarious laughter as they shared these dirty jokes with each other and retold them to the whole group. The conversation then changed as we were eating and it began to focus on fishing. Nothing wrong with fishing, but that was the topic they were very enamored by. And then it changed to their night of gambling as the men gathered to smoke cigars and and play cards and gamble with nickels. And then it turned to sports as they talked about the football team or the baseball team that they loved and their expectations for what would be the outcome of the game. They talked about their excitement about gambling on the football game. The pastor sat enjoying the conversation and and sharing in it. There was no reprimand. There was no calling to holiness. There was no praying for one another. There was no sharing of 
of the problems that needed to be resolved in the hearts of those who were present. It was all darkness. It was demonic. Let me be right up front with you. It was demonic. And the devil laughed at us. He laughed because this meeting happened every week. And the same topics were raised every week. As the men laughed about the women and the dirty jokes and enjoyed their their men things. Gambling, cards, hobbies. I left broken hearted. I was not encouraged in my walk with Jesus. I was not encouraged. I was discouraged. I was disheartened. I was desperately concerned. And I tried to speak with a pastor about it. I tried to speak with others about it. They cut me off. They wanted no conversation about it. They all believed the lie that they were saved sinners. One man, when I tried to speak with him, said, I believe in that bumper sticker that says, you and I are just alike, except I've been forgiven. Another said, my boss is the carpenter, and he understands that I'm a sinner. Well, no, he doesn't understand. It's a deep offense. It's a heartbreak for him. Because we have established in the American church the same pattern, the same pattern as the children of Israel had established. A pattern of unbelief, a pattern of rebellion, a pattern of not turning from sin, a pattern of of humanism. And they died in the desert. And if you look at 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, you'll see Paul outlines and says, I'm writing this down as a, as a warning. Do I need to read that to you? Let me just read it quickly. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, this is 1 Corinthians 10, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized in the Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ Jesus. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. That is, don't put anything ahead of Jesus Christ. Don't put your football. Don't put your baseball. Don't put your professional sports don't put your fishing, don't put your dirty jokes, don't put your worldliness ahead of, of Jesus. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did, and they were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and they were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So, dear friends, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. He says, goes on to say, don't share in the cup of demons. Don't share in the cup of demons. See when my heart's so upset about this. Because this message that I've been preaching, I have personal experience. I've been preaching now for this gospel of Jesus for 30 years in Washington, and I've had almost no result. I know. I have faced the ostracization, the cutting off, the forsaking, the treating as a, as an infidel because I stand on the word of Scripture. And I don't walk in any known sin or rebellion against the Most High God. I have covenanted with him to totally belong to him. I'm not interested in dirty jokes. I'm not interested in the world's gain. I'm not interested in the world's hobbies. I'm not interested in the world's entertainment. I have cut it off. And for that, I'm treated as a strange and wicked man by the Christian church today. I'm astonished. Do you think I'm invited to go preach in churches in Washington? Are you kidding me? I would go if I were invited, but I'm not invited. Pagans invite me to come please and do their weddings. Pagans invite me to come please do their funerals and talk to them about Jesus. And so I go and I do their weddings and I do their their funerals and I talk to them in those places about what it means to be a Christian and I invite them to come and follow Jesus. But do you think churches invite me in Washington? Are you kidding me? No, I'm anathema. Why? Because I believe the scriptures and I rebuke Gnosticism, paganism. I'm not going to share in it. And so when it comes to this broadcast being on the air, I need a miracle. And I, I'm i very grateful to those of you who are always encouraging me like Lisa and Kayla and Ed and others. Pam, thank you. I just received your gift. That meant everything to me. William, from the West Coast, thank you so much. I praise God for for Delip. I just received yours. There are some who who have heard the message and recognized it is biblical. Some of you have had your lives totally transformed and you're now worshiping and serving the Most High God and you're bearing witness everywhere you go and you're making converts among those, but you're also being cut off by some. So I I come to you with this message of what I consider to be the most wonderful news in all of the world? I think of myself as dead to sin, but living for Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm not letting sin reign in my mortal body to obey it or the lust of it. I'm not letting my members be used in things of wickedness. Sin does not rule over me. I'm not under its dominion. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. But grace follows Jesus. In the verse 15 of chapter 6, he says, What then? Shall we sin even once hereafter because we are not under the law but under grace? He says, No. No. Come on. Do you not know that to whom you yield yourselves as servants to obey, you are servants to whom you obey, 
whether of sin in death or obedience in righteousness? John the Baptist came. I won't turn and read it to you, but let me just share. It's in Matthew, the third chapter, and again in Luke, the third chapter. They came. John came preaching repentance. Turn from your sins. And in Matthew, the Sadducees and the Pharisees come, and they were the leading of the religious people of the day. And he said to them, you offspring, you brood of vipers. What's he saying? He's saying you're you're the children of Satan, even though you're Jewish, and even though you have the scriptures, and even though you have all of this religious education and training, you are still servants of the devil. You're not, you don't belong to Jesus yet. Please, you cannot belong to Jesus until you renounce, repent, and leave your sin. That's what Romans 6 teaches. You must be baptized. You must enter into the death of Jesus. You must leave this worldliness. Then you come to the third chapter of Luke, and Luke addresses all of the people. Now, why does he call them serpents? Because the devil is a serpent. He's an evil serpent. He's an evil dragon. That's what he has become. He was an angel of glorious light, Lucifer, but he became a serpent. He became a a dragon, a lying, cheating, stealing, murdering dragon. Now, if he could come to the Christian church in America and convince them that they can be saved even while they walk in their rebellion against Jesus, he's really pulled off something major. It's the great falling away spoken of in Scripture. And many of you listening today, please, I'm not being harsh. I speak very tenderly to you. Many of you are still walking in idolatry and sexual uncleanness and lust and alcohol and drugs, in pride and anger, in bitterness, in hardness of heart. You're still walking in sin. That means you are yet an offspring of the devil, but you're very religious. And because you're very religious, you think you're saved and on your way to heaven. Well, those Jewish people thought that they were saved until they heard John the Baptist, and then their hearts were deeply convicted, and they turned from their wickedness. They turned from their wickedness. Just as this man who who came on, claiming to be a servant of the devil, he can come to an awareness of the glorious freedom in Jesus Christ. As Lisa has said in the in the chat area, if you're still there, it's not too late for you. You can come to Jesus and he will forgive you. He will wash you. He will cleanse you. Now, I recognize that many have have become very angry about this message. But I'm telling you this. I'm going to still preach it as long as I can on the air. And if you stand with me, I need to hear from you. We need a miracle. The devil is trying to drive us off the air. And I don't believe he's going to be able to. We need a miracle. Would you please pray for me? Pray for this broadcast. And pray for God's people. 
before they're cast out and die in the desert because they've been deceived by pastors and teachers who have accommodated their sin. Now is the time to repent, to get right with Jesus. Now is the time to weep before him and recognize your love of the, of the world and the lust of the flesh and say, I'm done with this devil. And be born again to cast off the serpent. Well, I'd love to hear from you. How do you respond today? Are you angry? Or are you washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus? Write to me at National Prayer Chapel. That's National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. Be a part of the miracle. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find this broadcast. We're streaming live now, but it will be posted on the webpage later today. And you can hear the broadcast again. Now let's pray. Lord Jesus, I've simply shared today my, my grave heart concern for your people who are so utterly deceived in America today. And we have pumped this wicked sinning Christian gospel out all over the world. Lord, certainly the great falling away among your people is here now. And if there is not a great revival, your church will be utterly destroyed. We will die in the desert. And only a small remnant will enter into your kingdom. Because you can't be, according to your word, a son of the devil, and your son too. Lord, please come and rescue us. Please send forth your Holy Spirit. Lord, come quickly. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Oh